we have been studying the five offerings that are in the first five chapters of Leviticus. We covered the burnt offering. And with my attempt at alliteration, I used the word surrender for the burnt offering. Last week, we dealt with the meat offering, which is quite ironic because there is no meat in the meat offering. And we tried to show you that uh, it's the uh, only one of these five offerings where no flesh is involved. It's all grains, cereals. And, uh, but it's simply a play on words from that time when uh, they didn't have dinners. They didn't take someone for a meal. You sat down to meet. And uh, so basically it's uh, sitting down for, I don't know, bowl of cereal. Basically what we're dealing with here. And uh, the first word that I tried to express to you was the word surrender. Because I think that's the perfect picture of him and the offering that he made. This one last week was service. And uh, the word that comes so strongly out to me when you study this offering, it's the word sacrifice. The burnt offering was a powerful snapshot of the surrender of his will in order to get on that cross. And uh, as we tried to show you, the meal or the meat offering is an excellent way of reminding us that he's the bread of life. But when Paul was teaching in Ephesians chapter 2, he talked about that the Lord, I, I, I won't bore you with it because I've done it many times before, but if you study the epistles specifically of Paul, he talks about this mystery that was known from the beginning of the world. And uh, he keeps using that phrase, mystery, 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 again and again and again. But when you get into the book of Ephesians, he, he basically says, here's the mystery. That the church wasn't going to be comprised of just Jews. But from the very beginning, God intended for there to be Jews and Gentiles in the church. And when you study Ephesians 2, there's this powerful verse. He broke down the middle wall of partition between us. And in verse 14, it said, for he is our peace. He is our peace. And uh, I, I, I'm trying my best to verbalize what I think we're dealing with here. Because this... This whole thing of this third offering is that basically uh, we're just a bunch of people trying to be get along with our God. We're seeking reconciliation, and um, it's uh, these these you know these first offerings, the first three, they were all sweet savor offerings, and uh, I hopefully have explain that to you, that that simply means that they were voluntary. And um, this peace offering was given not only in thanks for a blessing that you had received, but it was also given in advance in faith that there was going to be a blessing that would come. And is, is there a better example of this? Not only for the sake of our lesson today, but for the actual time that I'm trying to teach these things to you. We've got less than two weeks to go until it's Christmas Day. But this is what it says in Luke 2.14. Glory to God 
in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And when you really consider what's going on here, that this this God that we serve became a baby, limited himself to flesh. But it's basically telling us that this is going to happen. So this peace offering is not just in gratitude for what he's done, but in faith for what he's going to do. Is there a greater peace offering in the world than Jesus? And especially in Luke 2 when he was born, that he was given to us in faith of what was going to happen. And... uh, you're going to get a Christmas card. You probably, you may have already gotten this one. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. But this is what it says in 9 and 7. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And... Uh, When you think of it, here's Romans chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. So, Jesus enabled there to be peace between you and me and our Creator. In Ephesians chapter 2, the verse that I read you, he, he made peace, not just between people and their God, but he made peace between two very different kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles. Listen, listen, listen let, let, let me do 14 and 15. He is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity or the hatred, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain or of two one new man, so making peace. I love that last part, so making peace. Years ago, man, this is, we're talking... Over 25 years ago, I, 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 I wish I could find the notes. They're gone. But uh, I taught a series of lessons called the B-attitudes. And, and if you look in the margin, of, if, you have, if you have any kind of a study Bible, on the margin of Matthew chapter 5, it'll say the B-attitudes. So B-attitude is not a word that's in the Bible but it's given in reference to those teachings that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 5. And one of those, you know, it's, it's not the do attitudes. It's the be attitudes. It, doesn't, it says, be ye therefore perfect. And I, and I tried to explain the difference between an attitude and an action. Jesus said, the law says, don't commit adultery. That's an action. But I say, don't lust. That's an attitude. You don't lust, you'll never commit adultery. The law said, don't kill. That's an action. I say, don't get angry and let your anger take totally control of you to where you get stupid. That's an attitude. And, and, and there's these, you know... These B attitudes. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe you're a child of God? Do you believe that? Well, that's your opinion of you. What do other people say about you? Jesus said, 
Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the children of God. So it really doesn't matter what we call ourselves. What do others call us? And if we want others to call us a child of God, be a peacemaker. So don't miss the lesson that's in the word. Peace never automatically happens. Peace has to be made. Peace has to be synthesized. It has to be created. Any bunch of juveniles can fuss and feud and fight. But the question that we've got to ask ourselves is, can you go into a volatile situation and calm it down and bring peace? And if you do that, Jesus said, I'm going to call you one of my children and other people are going to refer to you as my children. Because when you think of it, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus was a peacemaker. He, 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 he calmed the wind. And when he calmed the wind, the waves bowed down. And I've talked to you recently about that boat and the other little boats. Everybody benefited because Jesus brought peace to that storm. That, that, that when they were so terrified, he said, be of good cheer. It's, it's me. The reason that's so important is probably at least 50 years later, John is on Patmos, which is an island. It's a prison. And there are no guards and there's no dogs and there's barbed wire. There's just the vicious riptide and the currents of the Mediterranean Sea. Um, I I was fascinated for years uh, with, with two brothers the Anglin brothers, that um, they, they, they are the only two people that uh, ever escaped from Alcatraz. And for years, the Justice Department said they died in the cold of the San Francisco Bay because the, the, the tides in the San Francisco Bay are vicious, and they just carry stuff out into the ocean. And you're talking about Northern California, and it's very, very cold. And, and, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, two years ago, one of the uh, nephews brought a couple pictures to uh, basically bounty hunters, Justice Department people had finally got it, and... They, they did all these facial recognition things and all these scans. And here were these two chubby guys down in South America. And every year their mother would get a Christmas card and it was never signed. And she always said, my boys are alive. My boys are alive. <laughs> and two years ago, the, uh, they, they, one of the facial recognition people took old pictures of those brothers and slid it on top of the new picture that those nephews had. And he said, uh, best I can tell you to do is you better get a posse because these boys are still alive. And uh, they, uh, they probably died in South America. It's quite an interesting story. They ended up going to prison for, I don't know, 25 years for just a very small infraction. They didn't belong there. Pitiful, but... They were smart boys, and they figured out a way to, to break out of Alcatraz and to defeat those tides. Paul didn't have no boat. He didn't have, well, that, uh, there, there was no need for any guards or lights on Patmos. Go ahead. You think you can do it? Take off swimming. Let's see if you can get to Ephesus. That's the closest city. Nope, nobody escaped from Patmos. And so he wanders down to the edge of that water, getting, I believe, as close physically to his other brothers and sisters in Christ as he fit the the church in Ephesus. It's the closest church to Patmos. And these waves splashing in front of him, mocking him. But he said behind him he heard a voice, and it said, I'm Alpha, 
I'm Omega. I'm the beginning, I'm the end, I'm the first and the last, the Almighty. And he turned around and John said he saw seven candlesticks. And he said, in the middle of that, I saw someone like, like the Son of God. He, he knew, he knew it was Jesus. But he hadn't seen anything like that since 50 years before in Matthew 17 when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to a mountain and he said, I want to show you boys something. And all of a sudden, he starts to shine and there's Moses and Elijah, two greatest, to a Jew, the two greatest people on the planet were Moses and Elijah. There they are. Pete says, we need to build three churches. All of a sudden, bam, that voice. They're on their face. They look up. It said they lifted up their eyes. All they saw was him. Face, when you do your homework with that word, it's, very, it's almost identical to the word in Acts 9 when Saul was riding from Jerusalem to Antioch in Syria. And, and it says, a light brighter than the sun. In, in, in the original language, it says, like the sun shining in her strength at high noon on a cloudless day. It's the same wording and same phrases in Matthew 17 when Jesus, it's called the transfiguration when it's like every pore in his face was a, was a, was a giant light. And, it, and John saw that. And it's 50 years later, and he's an old man. He's over 90 years old, but he'd seen something like that. Almost half a century before. But then it was the voice. It's me. It's me. It's me. It's the same phrase, same voice. That storm he was on, be of good cheer. It's me. It's me. Jesus, I could give you example after example after example of Jesus being a peacemaker. Look, 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 at, look at Joseph. Okay, I mean, you're, 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 you're engaged to be married and, and your fiance turns up carrying a baby and she gives you this crazy story that yeah I, I am carrying a baby but I, I've, I've always been faithful to you and I've never been with anybody else he didn't believe it and neither would I but he had a visitor that said it's okay calm down She's telling you the truth. Mary, can you imagine the, the wags? If there would have been social media back then. <laughs> wow. Some teenage girl turning up pregnant. Man, they would have taken her to the dogs. But that voice that came to her and said, Child that's in you. Child of the Holy Ghost. It's just, it's just common. Here's, here's a marriage in Cana, and they're, they're running out of wine, and he calms that thing down. The widow of Nain, who's bearing her only boy, and he interrupts. She's obviously already lost her husband. Now she's lost her only boy. But the Lord came and calmed, calmed Jairus and his dead daughter. Mary and Martha with their dead brother. You can just go on and on and on. So much of the ministry of Jesus was, it's okay, calm down. I'm going to bring peace to this situation. Because if you read, I don't have time to read all these verses, but if you study Romans 5, it, Paul taught that Jesus brought peace between us and our conscience. And, and, and I, I, the conscience is, is, is very good at what it does. But I was 
Uh, it seemed like everywhere I've gone today, I've been interrupted by either fire trucks or ambulances. And that's to me what the conscience is. It's the fire truck that gets on the scene after the thing's already burning to the ground. This enemy of your soul says, do it, do it, do it, do it. And then you do it and he goes, what'd you do that for? And just beat you to death. And your conscience constantly, do you, do you have anything in your past? They're called skeletons, but they're more than skeletons, boy. They're very real. And them dudes will climb out of that thing and just grip your, do you have skeletons? Do you have bad memories? Do you, do you have things that just seem to plague you again and again? You need a fresh dose of the Prince of Peace. The Bible said he can bring peace between you and your conscience. He can settle that thing down. Here's what Paul said in Acts 24. Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God. (laughs) How did he do this? The answer is in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of the cross. Hallelujah. To so many. I mean, when I ask you, you know, I ask myself, what, what does the word peace mean? And so I was just writing, what, what do I think peace be? And to me, the word peace means nobody's fighting anymore. Yeah, that, that, that it's the end of hostility. But when I did my homework this afternoon on the word peace, it means that, but it means so much more than just the end of fighting. It also means prosperity, joy, happiness, that he is our peace. He is more than just going to stop the fighting, but he's going to bring things into our lives that are, that, that'll put a smile on your face. And my, my wife and I were dealing with something this morning and and she said something that the first time I heard it, I, I, I don't know how many years ago I heard her say that, but, but uh, it, it, it revolutionized something. When my, I, I, we, we, we had a, a man one time, and I had, to, uh, I had to let him go. He worked at the church. And... Um, it wasn't pleasant, and uh, I, I tried to be as honorable as I knew how, and, uh, and we paid this man after we let him go for six months, full salary, plus health insurance and benefits. I even gave him a very generous offering for his family to go on vacation, and uh, when that six months was over, he sued the church. And um, I, I, I just couldn't believe it. I was just stunned that he would bring legal action against the church. And um, <laughs> I had to go to Lansing and deal with this board of, of, of people. Seven people were on that board. It was intimidating walking up them granite steps big old giant columns, intimidating. I walked into that room and this man looked at me and he said, let me ask you something, Pastor. When, when was the last day this man was actually in the church building? And I said, uh, March. And he said, but according to this documentation, you paid this man through September. I said, yes, sir, and if you'll keep going, I have photocopies of every canceled check. He said, you paid this man full salary plus benefits for six months after you let him go? And I said, yes, sir, plus I sent him on a very nice vacation. And he just pulled his little glasses down. He said, can I come and work for your church? He said, let me tell you the way it works around here, Pastor Hoffman. They notify you on Thursday, on Friday. uh, An officer escorts you to the door. You take your key off the ring. He lets you go out. 
That's it. He said, this is not a pay issue, Pastor. This is a severance issue. And he said, "Uh, by the way, is that gentleman in the room here today? And he said, I didn't think so. He said, Pastor, why don't you just go home? He said, you leave this man to me. I promise you, you'll never hear from this man again on this issue. And I never have. And it wasn't, I don't know, but a couple weeks after that, my wife sensed something was bothering me. And she, she said, what is troubling you? And I said, I don't want to have an unforgiving spirit. And she said, oh, you're talking about the gentleman that you let go. And I said, yeah. And she said, you don't have an unforgiving spirit, Harold. And, and I said, well, how do you know? And she said, well, when the thing was very raw and very recent, if anybody mentioned that guy's name, you got angry. And whenever you talked about him, it was very obvious. You were very, very offended at what he had done. But she said, you don't talk about this anymore. And when anybody mentions something that has to do with this or this person, it doesn't even get a rise out of you. You've, you've forgiven the man. She said, Harold, didn't anybody ever teach you the difference between forgiveness and trust? And I said, no. And she just looked and shook her head. And it was like kindergarten to Renee, but it was graduate studies for me. She said, Harold, forgiveness is based on the past. Trust is based on tomorrow. She said, you've forgiven the man, but you don't trust him because he hasn't changed his behavior. And you can't trust someone that you've forgiven if their behavior hasn't changed. And it just, it freed me. And it was right after that I picked up a... a, wonderful missionary, and uh, he, he, he died not long after I met him, and he, I picked him up at the airport, and we're riding back from the airport to his motel, and he said, so how are you doing? And I said, I, I, I think I'm doing okay, and uh, church is good, I'm good. He said, no, 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 Pastor Robin, he said, cut the standard response. He said, the re- he said, I am here, not for your church. He said, I'm here for you. I really believe God let me come here today to minister to you. I want you to tell me what you're dealing with because something's troubled you deeply. And so I told this man, Brother Willoughby, I told him what had happened. And, and he just looked at me and big giant tears he was tall and red haired some of you might have he was a wonderful guy why do the good ones die early I could think of a lot of bums that should have died besides brother Willoughby and his wife she was wow I could make a lot of suggestions people that I think God ought to take and people that he ought to leave alone and I'm just be frank with you through my life there are one two three four there are five people that I can think of right now that died that I will never understand why they died I never will so brother Tenney taught me he said that sometimes faith in God is better than a good answer, Harold. And he said, Job said, we live on the edges of his ways. So he said, that's, that's where you are right now. And Brother Willoughby and his wife will always be one of those people that I will never, I guess that's why I want to go to the New Jerusalem. I'd kind of like the Lord to explain that to me. I do know there's been a great harvest in Singapore since they died. 
and that it's called the Tabernacle of Joy. It's, it's an amazing place. And uh, I'll never forget, I, I told him what I was wrestling with, and he, he started to cry, and he said, you don't know how to pray, do you? And it was like he verbalized my I didn't know how to express what I was, and he expressed it perfectly. He said, because if you pray that God blesses him, and he's still doing wrong, he said, or if, if you pray God judges him, and he's already found a place of forgiveness, so you don't know if he's changed or not. And I said, exactly. And he began to cry, and he said, I just went through this exact thing before I came home from Singapore. And he said, let me tell you what God gave me and how to pray for this man that did me so wrong. He said, I began to pray, God, you reward him according to his deeds. (laughs) And he said, if he's found a place of forgiveness, then God will bless him. If he's still doing evil, then God will correct him. It's not up to you. You just are supposed to pray for people that have despitefully used you. And this is the way you pray, God. You reward them according to their deeds. So last I know, he didn't die yet. So... uh, I'm just trying to be very honest with you that I'm not off limits, and I'm trying to explain. We're all going to get offended. We're all going to have wounds. You know, there's, there's only one thing on this earth besides the Spirit of God that didn't come from here, and that's music. It's, it's, music is such a powerful tool, and I think that's why Satan has, has always tried to manipulate it and, 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 and it's why I've encouraged our young people and Draylon and these teams and all this. And it's it just, there was a time years ago, we didn't have much music, if any. And, and it was tough. But now we've been blessed. And I'm so grateful that I've lived long enough to see this church have the talent that it has. And, and, and we've been so fortunate. But Music, man, music came from heaven. But when you think of it, there's only one thing in heaven that didn't come from there. It came from here, and that's scars. The scars that Jesus has on his body, he got those here and took them there. I, 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 I've never done it, but I always wanted to teach a lesson about scars because it's, it's, it's so apparent in the Scripture that when he told Thomas, touch, reach your hand here and, and, and touch this thing, you know, and, and, and when you do your homework with the words, it's not like it's scabs, it's scars. That, let me explain something to you. I've been... <laughs> I've been accident prone a lot of times in my life, and usually it happens when I'm tired and I do something stupid. But I know enough about wounds that you don't get scars in three days. That you got you you got scabs and you got there's a long process to get a scar. But it it, it ought to teach you something, man. He got the wounds on the cross. But he died, and he was buried, and he rose again, and guess what happened? The wounds became scars. There is a mending process in the gospel that can take your open wounds and, and, and fix them. They are reminders. I, I, I have a wonderful friend, Charles, if you're listening to this. Gee whiz. I have this great friend named Charles Russell, who's prayer coordinator for Brother Gurley in Houston. He, He's just, just a special guy and calls me for years. He's always been so kind to me. And, and when I first met him, he, had, he was 17, 18. He had just come out of a, an unbelievable car accident. And we were traveling one time, and 
we were getting dressed for church and he didn't have a shirt on and and he looked like Frankenstein, man. I mean, he had, you could tell, rough sutures just gathering what skin they could back together on his arms, his legs, his back. His, it was just like, I said, my God, man, what happened to you? And, and he told me the story of this accident that he was in and all of these these, these bolts and plates and wires and everything they did to put Humpty Dumpty back together. And, and he told me such a powerful story last year. We were on the phone and, 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 and he was telling me about someone he was trying to help because he's a counselor in a hospital now. And, and, he, and he said, he said, Harold, I took, unbuttoned my shirt and I rolled up my shirt sleeve and I, I, I looked at that person and I said, you, you see that? And there's all that. It's still ugly. It's just white and, and, and you, you could tell where they patched him back together the best they could. He said, you see that? He said, I can tell you, I can, I, I can tell you the exact time and the exact day that this happened. I, I can tell you not just the time and the day. I can, I can tell you, I can take you exactly to the place where this occurred. But, but he said, there's no pain here now anymore. There's only pain if I keep digging at it and digging at it. And he said, Harold, the Lord is a mender and a repairer. But if you keep digging at it, it's just going to stay open and it's going to continue to be a wound. And he's in the scar business, not in the wound business. And there are people that just keep digging at things and just won't shut up and won't leave it alone. Give it to the, the Prince of Peace. Ah, <laughs> oh, Jesus. It's just, it, 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 there's, because you've got to understand that peace is it's a fruit. It's not a root. Listen to this. This is James 3 and 18. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. There's a scripture. Now, this is conjecture on my part. I can't prove this, but I really think it's probable that what I'm teaching you is right. It's in Romans 14 and 17. And it says, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And, and you, you could prove from this verse in James and others, righteousness bears fruit. And what is the fruit of righteousness? Peace. Peace. And, and I, I think Romans 14 and 17 is a process. I, I, I think it's like going to the doctor and saying, hey, I want to feel better. And he'll say, oh, I was at the dentist went last week. And... and I, we got to take x-rays. No, you don't. It's 400 bucks for x-rays. I'm fine. No, it's been two years, Harold. We're taking x-rays. So, okay. Wasted money. Buying your new car. It's a scam. He comes back and smiles and said, you've been flossing, haven't you? I said, I always floss. He said, it shows. He said, your gum disease isn't there. He said, you got no cavities. You have no trouble spots. Then I was kind of happy he took the x-rays. Because it, you know, <laughs> have that little pain and you're going, oh, shoot, I got to get another root canal. Oh, there's something I'd love to give some of my God forgive me. <laughs> it, it, it's go into a doctor's office. I want to feel better. Okay, we're going to take some X-rays. What kind of insurance you got? You know, get that little piece of. Huh? No, then they come back and say, okay, we're going to split you from stem to stern. We're going to open you up. We're going to take this out. I think we might be able to. <clears throat> remodel that one and put it back in, but this one here has lost the battle. We're getting rid of that and put your new one in. Here's Jim Foote. 
Jim Foote will be back at church soon. Please continue to pray for him and his sweetie pie and him amazing boy. Jim, Jim, Brother Parsons took him to the hospital, and as soon as they got there, they took him into surgery. And by the time Rhonda shows up, he's in surgery. And, and, and the doctor said, Mrs. Foote, does your husband believe in God? And, and she said, why? He said, because if he doesn't, he better start. Because if your husband would have waited one more day, I'm not making this up. Ask her when you see her. If your husband would have waited one more day, he'd have been a quadriplegic. His arms would have been gone. His legs would He said, ma'am, your husband has the highest threshold of pain I have ever, ever seen in my life. I don't know how he functioned, but he was going to work. And they needed somebody to lock the doors at night. Nobody would volunteer. So Jim said, I'll do it. And so here he is walking in this big building every night. <laughs> His spine is de- de- decayed. And, and they didn't know what to do. So they put rods in him and they took, made vertebrae out of metal. And Jim Foote's got metal vertebrae in his back. I've never heard anything like that. Maybe it's more common than I'm aware of, but I, I personally had never heard of anything like that. And, and you, you, but I, I, I don't want to, I just want to feel better. And, and, and it's, it's like coming to God and I, I, I want some joy. Well, he said, you're not going to get some joy if you don't get any peace. And you're not going to have peace. Peace is fruit. You got to start with righteousness. If you start being righteous, which is doing what's right, it'll produce peace. Peace will produce the fruit of the Spirit called joy. But you, people, I want the joy, but I don't want the discipline of the righteousness. It's a process. It's a process. And, and that's what this whole thing is trying to show you. It's, it's just, there's just too many people that want to turn grace into disgrace. Peace with God is not cheap. And, and, and we, we, we are being force-fed in this culture. Oh, I can't afford to chase that rabbit right now. I don't know where your political leanings are. But here's one thing we're going to have to come to terms with. God sets people up and God takes people down. And somewhere in all of this thing, there's something called prophecy. And it's not saying things are going to get better. It's saying things are going to get worse. I don't want to be a prophet of doom. I got a little daughter named Ashley. I call her H-E. Those are my initials. H-E Hoffman. I told her that I'm going to call you H-E. She smiled. You mean just like your initials, Daddy. Yeah, but it don't mean Harold Eugene. It means half empty. Because every time I ask Ashley a question, it's never half full. The jar's always half empty, always. And I never did want to be a half empty kind of guy. But when I look at the Bible, I'm going to be very honest with you. I just can't see a lot of optimistic stuff happening in the future except the harvest for the church and the catching away. That's, that's the only bright spot I got to tell you. Our answers are not coming out of this culture. They're sure not going to come out of government. It's just, we had the government give us $60,000. I don't know what a year. Didn't even, didn't even want the money. Just gave it to us. Had Sister Laura call them and said, we want to give you the money back. They said, What? So we want to give you the money back. There was no office or even, a, there was no way of giving the money back. So it just is set in our savings account for a year. And so we got a wonderful letter last week. If you're not going to pay the money back, then you bring all of your banking information to us. And they just want to go through every orifice in our body and in this church I don't know if I've ever told you this story or not. I was, I was a young preacher in Texas, and, and, and a pastor's son said, you need a new car. And I said, I know I need a new car, but I can't afford a new car. I'm saving money for a car. He said, I'll get you a brand new Cadillac for $15,000. And I said, nobody gets brand new Cadillacs for $15,000. At that time, for $30,000, 
There are probably a hundred now, but at that time, you could get a really nice Cadillac for $30,000. I'm evangelist. I want a preacher car. Evangelists drove Cadillacs and Lincoln Continentals back then. I drove an old Ford, and uh, I wanted a Cadillac. I'll get you one for 15000 I said, if it's too good to be true, it, it's just not true. And he said, Harold, I've already done this six times. He said, I bought one of these cars for 15000 I sold it for 30. Still got the sticker on the window. This guy's, this guy's 19, 20 years old. Six times 15 is 90 grand. He, he's not even 20 years old and he's already made $90,000 on the side. That was, that's still a lot of money. But back then, that was a mountain of money. He said, I've been selling it to these pastors. He said, I got a woman that can set you up. I opted not to do it. A couple months later, I found that the woman got arrested. Went to prison. No Cadillacs. A couple months later, I'm in Morgantown, West Virginia. The preacher was in Texas. I'm in Morgantown. I mean, Morgantown is in the hill country of West Virginia. You just... Nothing around there except the college. And my friend Edwin Harper, he said, you know, that's when you had church Tuesday through Sunday, twice on Sunday. It was a long week. You earned your money. And I preached Sunday morning, and it's Sunday afternoon. He said, I'm going to go to the prison. Would you like to go? And I said, no, I don't want to go. I'm going to get a shower. I'm going to take a nap, and then I'm going to study and pray for tonight. And he said, I'd like you to go with me. He always paid me very generously, so you're signing the checks, boss. Okay, I'm going. I go into this <laughs> prison. <laughs> it was like a country club, man. There was no fences, no guns, no dogs, no nothing. It looked like Harvard. <laughs> beautiful manicured lawns, beautiful buildings. I never saw a prison like that. This little old Spanish girl came out of there, just so demure, just sashayed up to us. And he did what pastors do, you know, just trying to encourage her. And he said, what really did happen? And she said, oh, I'm under a gag order. I, I, I'd, I'd like to tell you, but I, I can't. And he said, would you mind if I ran a little theory past you? And she said, yeah, sure, go ahead, Pastor. Everybody's got their own guess about what happened. He said, I'm wondering, who in the world can sell $30,000 Cadillacs for $15,000? He said, there's only one person that I know that can do that. She said, who? He said, my uncle. And she said, your uncle? He said, yeah, my Uncle Sam. He said, I think Uncle Sam is involved in all of this because they're the only corporation I know big enough to absorb this kind of loss. He said, this is what I think happened. He said, I think you were approached by the Justice Department and the IRS because they know there's all these preachers that are taking all this undeclared cash and, and they want to find them. So they used you to sell these cars to these guys for 15 grand. They told it, turned and sold it for 30. Didn't declare the 15 profit. I think the IRS just put a big old gold star beside of every one of their names. And come next year, when it's tax season, they're in for a really bad day. And she grinned and she said, oh, I gotta go. She took about four steps and folded like a cheap suit and fell right on her face. Pow. And I, I told Edwin, you're the, you're the only guy I've ever known to turn a brown Mexican into a white girl in 30 seconds. Because when we picked her up, she was ashen. She was white. And she looked at him and she said, I never told you nothing. 
But she said, if I didn't know any different, you're the smartest preacher I've ever met in my whole life. And turned around and walked away. And Edwin looked at me and said, let me tell you what's going to happen, Harold. In just a couple weeks, she's going to disappear. She's going to make a lot of money. You'll never meet her again, and neither will I. And he's right. But also he was right because next, the next year, when tax season came, then preachers got audited. And they took them boys to the woodshed. And I was so happy that I didn't buy one of them $15,000 Cadillacs. Let me explain something to you. The government never gave me nothing. <laughs> and if you think this government's just going to give me all this, I asked kids in our church, you know, this is probably what, a year ago? If you got to vote, who would you vote for? Bernie Sanders. And I said, why? He said, because he's going to pay off all our student debt. And I said, no, he's not stupid. I'm going to pay off all your debt. <laughs> but we're just living in this culture. And, and I, I, here, I did exactly what I said I didn't want to do. But it's just, here we are. And there are people that really expect the government. Do you understand small businesses are dying? America is small business. You understand that? That's, it's not huge corporations. It's just, do you really think there's a guy named Mr. Exxon that's alive? Do you, do you, do you really? This is small business that drives this, 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 this economy. And I know they're still building houses, and we, we've been really protected for a while. It's been miraculous, but I'm on level with you. It's not going to continue for much longer. It can't. Because these businesses are going to show, close up. They can't go on. It's not like they're selling their restaurant to someone else. They're just shutting it down. That's not the spirit of America. America never was someone that put a lock on the door and said, we're terrified of that. It's never been the attitude, but it's where we are now. And so what happens if you shut all these businesses down? It's the government that's going to bail us all out. I'm not here just railing against the government. I'm telling you there's prophecy involved in this thing. There's something bigger than you and I that's at work here. And you got to wake up and understand there's some, there's a, there's a, the puppet master of the universe is controlling this thing. And, 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 and what is so critical, it said, we, we sorrow not as others who, who, who have no peace and just have no hope. It's there. It's, you just do your homework with that word hope. It, Paul, Peter, they refer to it again and again and again and again. It's just, they, they, if, you, <laughs> if, if you get, I, I'm tired of listening to the news. I'm tired of going to websites. There's just, there's just people. There are people that used to go to church here. They don't go to church. They may never come back to church. Why? They're just mad. They're mad. And if it gets directed at the church, and then it gets directed at me, and it'll get directed to you, and I just, I, that's not going to go away. That's the culture that we're involved with right now. You cannot afford to allow angry people to burglarize your spirit till they steal your joy. He is our peace. And I'm doing the best I know how to live a righteous life. And I'm here to tell you that it produces a fruit that righteousness produces peace. And that peace will put joy in your spirit. Not just a grin, but the joy, the ability to go through tough things, knowing that on the other, just like Jesus hanging on the cross, who for the joy that was set before him, Jesus had the cross to look forward to on the other side. And you and I, what is the joy? I'm I'm getting out of here, and there's a hope that I have. Oh, Jesus. It's just, please don't, 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 don't turn grace into disgrace because it's, it's, it's having peace with God. It's not cheap. And that's what, what I'm trying to get across to you with Leviticus and these offerings because these offerings, they, they dismantle the error and demands that a life in constant, persistent sin, it's never going to enjoy fellowship with God. 
But at the same time, these offerings are reminding us that we serve a God of grace and has provided a way for us to reconcile between him and us. So there can be peace between you and your creator. There can be peace between you and somebody else. My hope and reason for trying to explain this to you is there is no peace with God without a substitute. It's not possible. And there's no, there's no peace with God unless your heart is wholly consecrated to him. There, there's no fellowship unless the lamb takes my place. And that's why there's such gratitude in our heart for him and what he's done for us. I wanted to have fellowship with my God, but I'm a sinner. And when you work for sin, it pays you in wages called death. And the only way I could atone for my sins was to pay the wages called death. But what good will that do if I die in the process? So he takes my place to create a way for me through the cross Thus fulfilling what he said, I'm the door, I'm the way. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. He opens a way for us to live a consecrated life that creates peace, peace with our God. Hallelujah. And I'll do it later on, but there's five offerings, and the first is the burn offering, and the second and the meal offering. But in the third chapter, it's the peace offering, and in the fourth chapter, it's the trespass offering, and in the fifth, it's a sin offering. But when you actually do it in real time, you're going to find, and I'll prove it to you later, the peace offering was never number three, it was number five that you had to do the others because I'm beyond my time right now, but I tried to show you it was according to your possessions. You know, if you had a herd, you had to have an oxen. If you had a flock, you have a sheep or goat, or if you weren't so privileged, you'd do a bird, or you had an oven, or you had a baking pan or a frying. But I I can show you when you study the peace offering, you you could offer an oxen, you, you could offer a lamb, you could offer a goat. It didn't matter. He accepted all of them. I, uh, let, me, let me read this to you and then I'll shut up because this is, this is Deuteronomy chapter 12. This, this is where they celebrated the peace offering, 12 and 5. But under the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall you seek and thither thou shalt come and you shall bring burnt offerings and sacrifices and your tithes, heave offerings of your hand, your vows, your free will offerings the firstling of your herds and of the flocks and there you shall eat before the Lord your God and you shall rejoice in all that he hath put in your hand you and your household wherein the Lord I got a blessing and what I found it was it, it was it was there was leaders there were priests there were common men they're all eating this dinner together this peace offering it, 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 it is the benefit of all the others, of the burn offering and the meal offering and the trespass and the sin offering. It's the benefit of that. It's not the way to it. It's the result of that. If you want peace in your life, this is really simple. Let's be righteous. Brother Cook taught me this. Never forgot it. He said, what's the word righteousness mean, Harold? And I been to Bible school. I gave him a Bible school answer. I don't know. You know what he said to me? He said, I tell you what I think righteousness is. Just doing what's right. When he said that, it resonated with me. My mom will tell you this. She hundreds, maybe thousands of times. My dad has said to me again and again, just do what's right, Harold. Just do what's right. Stand. Thank you for the snow, Lord. You said seed time and harvest. You said it's never going to go away. You said that there would be spring, there would be summer, there would be fall, and there would be winter. You said that those seasons would never, ever be ignored nor negated. We are living in one of those seasons right now. Whether we like it or not, we are living in living proof that your promises are true, that we are going to go through seasons and we are going to go through various times in our lives. I thank you, Lord, for these brave soldiers. 
that chose to come to Bible class tonight. I trust it was worth their time to be able to hear the engrafted word. The engra- I hope it's engrafted, Lord. I, 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 I don't want to hurt anybody, but if somehow the scalpel of this thing can, can make a, a, a clean incision and that, and that word can be engrafted in, in, in our heart, in our heart, so that we determine from this day forward, I'm going to do what's right. I'm tired of guilt. I'm tired of confusion. I'm tired of feeling sad. I'm tired of depression, oppression. I want some peace. And that ain't going to happen unless I start doing what's right. Righteousness will produce the fruit of peace, which will give me the joy of the Holy Ghost. I thank you for that promise, Lord. And I commit to you with my brothers and sisters. Tomorrow will be a better day. And we will live for you in light of these verses. In Jesus' name we pray and call it done. Amen. Amen. Amen.